Welcome to the Pendulum Land Podcast. Our podcast is designed for people interested in the right-of-way industry, eminent domain, the Uniform Relocation Act, or anyone who just enjoys spirited discussion of popular culture like we do. Today's podcast is sponsored by Pendulum Land Services, a full-service right-of-way acquisition firm managed by industry experts who are dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way process. Visit them at PendulumLand.com. And with us today is our regular crew, Kristen Bennett from the great state of Tejas. Hasten Hobson, Kristen. Hasten Hobson, Dave. Carrie Lynn Hirsch from Pendulum Land Services. Hasten Hobson, Carrie Lynn. Hasten Hobson, Dave. And Ross Green, an eminent domain attorney from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hasten, Hobson, Ross. I definitely don't know what this means, so I'm not saying it. You're about to find out. I'm Dave Arnold, your host and authority on the best music and movies released between 1975 and 1995 and beyond. So let's get to it. Guess what? What? We at uh, the Pendulum Land Podcast have just launched a new subscription initiative where we are seeking new subscribers to our podcast. Tell me more about this. You're going to want to hear. You're going to want to hear. It is the opportunity to subscribe and win $1 million. If you subscribe to the Pendulum Land Podcast, you have the opportunity to win a million bucks. Um, we, we, don't, mm. we don't have a million dollars. Um available. Do, do you think that's going to stop anything? Because Ross and I are lawyers. And if lawyers are good for one thing, it's the fine print, right? Uh-huh. So I've got all this. I got this figured out. I got you. Okay. Okay. So we're announcing to our listeners, subscribe to the Pendulum Land podcast for the opportunity to win a million bucks. But we're going to write into the fine print. All money re- to be paid by Dave Arnold. No. <laughs> oh. In the fine print, it shall say, The rules of this contest require that you, A, subscribe to the podcast, and B, purchase a lottery ticket. (laughs) So. If you follow the rules. If you follow the rules, you have the opportunity to win a million bucks. And we don't have to fund it. Oh, right. I mean, we'll talk to our. Fine print. Yeah, we'll talk to our sponsor about that. We'll talk to them to see if they're wanting to put up the million bucks. But if they don't, that shouldn't stop this. Okay. So um, subscribe. Subscribe and buy a lottery ticket and wait a, for your million dollars. This is a great plan. Thank you. Thank you. So today, um, this podcast episode is called Uniform Relocation Act Funky Relocations. There's some funky relocations out there. We've seen them. Right. And and so let's first talk about this concept of relocation within the right-of-way industry, which is essentially if a project is coming through and you're in the way – not only does the condemning authority have to pay you for your property, but it has to pay you to move your property. And that's where Ms. Bennett comes in. Yeah, and we don't just deal with landowners. Anybody, anyone that's displaced, and we call them a displacee, if you're someone who is having to move and you're eligible for relocation benefits, we call you a displacee. It's any any person or company or entity that has personal property in the right-of-way or that has to move because of the because of the project. So if you have stuff and it has to move, whether you're the owner or you're a tenant, or you live there, or you work there, or you stored some bricks and some dirt there, if it's personal property and it has to move, you are eligible for relocation benefits. And I understand there's a difference between, say, residential relocation and business relocation. There's a big difference. There are some similarities, and um, the biggest similarity is that if you have stuff and it has to move, we are going to pay you to move that stuff. And it's not some big negotiable fee where we can you can make money off of it. It's all considered a it's all considered a reimbursement. It's a spend it to get it program. And so if you have stuff in the right of way and you have to move it and it costs you five hundred dollars to move it and that's actual, reasonable and necessary, we're gonna pay you that five hundred dollars to move it. We're gonna pay you back for it once you've spent the money. That's true if you're a business, if you have personal property only, if you're a residential displacee, we're gonna pay you to move your stuff. The difference comes in where if you are if you're a residential displacee and you live there, um, if you're a landowner or a tenant, either way, there is a supplement available to you, and um, it's calculated on on what it would cost for you to live in something comparable 
uh, if you're if you're an owner occupant, then what it would cost for you to buy something comparable on the market, and there's a supplement available for that. And this is above and beyond the acquisition money that you receive. And to make it to put it in really super simple terms, if we came and we bought your house, Dave, and we paid you a hundred thousand dollars for it, we would go out on the market and we would find another house that's comparable, as good or better in terms of size, age, condition, and quality, and it has to be functionally equivalent. It'll handle your stuff. And let's say it's on the market for $120,000. When we bought your house from you for $100,000, we didn't give you enough money to move into something comparable. So in that case, the difference between the comparable that we find and the house that we bought from you is $20,000. So then why don't you just buy my house for $120,000? Because I can't do that. I have why? To pay, because we have to pay fair market value for your house. That's you buy it. We buy it. So when you go out and you purchase and occupy something that costs $120,000 or more, you're going to use... Hypothetically, you're going to use your acquisition money, and then I'm going to come to the table with $20,000 of a supplement to help you afford that. And there's a for renters, it's it's a different calculation, but basically we take the difference in what they're paying at their current residence, the subject property, and what it would cost to rent something comparable on the market that's decent, safe, and sanitary. And we take that difference times 42 months, and they get a one-time payment for that difference. Now, there's no snoring in relocation. This is the most exciting part of, re of right-of-way. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody doesn't think it's as exciting as you, but it is interesting. I have a question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Carrie Lynn. So it's a spend it to get it. What if I need to move my stuff, but I don't have the money to pay to have it moved? Will you give me the money up front? Well, that is a great question, and we don't typically give you the money up front, but there's lots of different vehicles to get around those problems that come up. When you're like practically doing relocation in the field, everybody's got an issue. And in that case, a lot of times um, an agency will do a direct payment to the vendor. So you're going to hire this moving company to move your stuff, and it's going to cost two grand, and you don't have two grand. We'll do an agreement where the moving company agrees, and you agree, and then whoever the displacing agency, they all agree, hey, once this move is done – We'll pay this amount on behalf of Carrie Lynn. So there's there's ways around stuff like that. And then sometimes we have people that want to rent something and they're they're month to month and they they can't they don't have like a first and last month's rent and a deposit ready to go. So sometimes we'll do a direct payment to vendor for a landlord for somebody who's renting. So there's ways there's ways around that. Um, the bad thing about relocation, well, I mean, I guess some people would doesn't argue, sound like anything bad so far. No, not bad. If you are a business, you don't you are not entitled to a supplement. And so that makes it a little harder. But if you're a business, you are entitled to reimbursement for what we call reestablishment expenses. And that is for, you know, if you buy a building and it's you got to put a new carpet and you got to do some painting or maybe you've got to reconfigure a little bit to be able to accommodate your business, we can pay reestablishment. The bad thing there is that it has a maximum payout federally of $25,000. Some states pay more. Some states have unlimited reestablishment, but um, I'm in Texas. It is limited to $25,000, and for a big old business, that doesn't cover it. It's not nearly enough. So, Can't you get the money up front for a hardship payment? Yes, you can. You can. That's always an agency call, but um, you can definitely do that. Well, we've seen cases where, well, actually, pretty much all the ones where Ross and I Relocations Ross and I have dealt with have either been in the context of litigation or under the threat of litigation, and they all seem to have the need for a hardship up, upfront payment. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. The ones who are advised by attorneys all have a hardship. Maybe that's a coincidence. I don't know. There are no coincidences. <laughs> no, it's just like the movie Signs. <laughs> right. Right. So, and, and okay, so that's what this episode is going to be about. You've given a nice little overview of the Uniform Relocation Act. What we're going to talk about are strange situations that we have come across in our experience with relocation. Hey, before we do that, yeah, um, I think you owe us and the audience a little update. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I. I hesitate to bring this up because I know how excited you get about it, but what's uh, what's going on with Billy Squire? Oh, yes. Uh, thank you for asking. Thank you for bringing that up. So as as you all may know, uh, Billy Squire and I are, have been getting tighter and tighter, and I have been the, um, the founding member of the Coastal Eastern Virginia chapter of the Billy Squire Fan Club North <laughs> Suffolk Edition for about a year. How many members are in that? Club. That's that's not relevant. Okay. That that doesn't that doesn't matter. Oh, Dave. Well, that's why I'm the president, 
right? Right. I get all the votes. I get all the votes. So uh, I've been listening to a lot of Billy Squire, at least the stuff that's free on Amazon Music. I haven't upgraded to the stuff you have to pay for, so I get two of his albums for free. I do have the rest of them on vinyl, which aren't accessible to me right now because uh, I've left them in the attic and they've warped. But kind of (laughs) getting off topic here... um, we we are uh, we have launched an attempt to bring Billy onto this show, and yes. I have I have written him a letter. Did you get a response? Not yet. Have you t- spoken to him or gotten in touch with? I mean, he probably doesn't even have an agent anymore. Maybe he does. Did you actually mail it? Yes, we actually mailed it. Carrie Lynn you helped made me. Carrie yes. Lynn, she's a co-conspirator in this. I, no, she's, I'm in the fan club. See? Oh, there are two members. She's <laughs> okay. she is president of the Billy Squire Coastal Virginia Coastal Eastern Virginia Fan Club Central Suffolk Division. Oh, I see. So you're a different I'm North chapter. Suffolk, yes. I am. Okay. No, divi- I am. yeah, right. Right. And so I, I penned a letter. Uh, she edited it for me, helped me with, you know, she my verbiage. Edited it, edited it? Edited it. Edited it. And helped me with, you know, to make it sound cool, like something Billy might like. And we mailed it. We did indeed. Did you request a, res- a response? What did you say in this letter? Wait, do you know this dude's address? Did y'all mail it to the North Pole? Like, is it going to the <laughs> Saint, like, Santa letter division? <laughs> Carrie Lynn, did, we got an address for him, didn't we? Yes, where's an address to specifically send mail to him? And there's only, he you has, probably just look in the white pages. He has a website. Yeah. And, and there's only one Billy Squire that spells his name incorrectly, so it's probably easy to find. <laughs> Why do you keep saying that? Squeer. Billy Squeer. Billy Squirrel. You, you know. Billy Squirrel. <laughs> let, let's, let's not make it a habit of insulting our future guests on the reg, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. he'll show up for like some Oreos and a pack of wet naps, I'm pretty sure. He might. Yeah. <laughs> Did you offer that in your letter? No. Oh, oh why Maybe not? you should have. You know, we could offer him the million dollar uh, chance, the chance to win a million dollars if he subscribes to the podcast. So you're telling him you're going to hand him a scratch-off lottery ticket? No, you can't win a million dollars through a scratch-off, at least not in Virginia. I think you can in Texas, maybe. Really? Everything's bigger in Texas. That's what they say. I think some of the new scratch-offs in Virginia, you can win a million dollars. They're like 20 bucks. About every payday, are you camped outside the (laughs) (laughs) 7-Eleven? You can buy lottery tickets out of vending machines now. That doesn't seem right. That feels like like buying cigarettes out of a vending machine. Why do you know that? Do you have a problem that we need to know about? I I just happen to notice a vending machine with lottery tickets. Uh Uh-huh. Happened to notice it when I was walking by. Do you buy cigarettes out of a vending machine? I do not. Uh, airplane liquor bottles. Dude, the last time I saw a cigarette vending machine, it was in Alaska, and I took a picture of it because I was so surprised to actually see the thing. I was like, oh, my God, it still exists. Do they still, still have them? They, I still see one every once in a while in Texas. And like some, If you're like in some dive bar, they may have if one. If you go to the Roadhouse in Texas, and Patrick Swayze pull here, if you go to the Roadhouse, the Double Deuce. Right. I don't think that's in Texas. Does, it doesn't matter. The road, Roadhouse was set at a place called the Double Deuce. Oh, okay. But was it even allegedly in Texas? That doesn't matter. Quit letting facts okay, get so in the way of a good Okay, so can we get st- back to the point, which is not relocation just quite yet. It's Billy Squire. Is he coming on the show or not? I'll let you know. I'm working on it. Okay. I mean, he- persistence will yield results. He'll, he'll be here. I right. suspect he gets a lot of mail, so it might take him a while to get to our I'm letter. I'm going to bet that you're, we're going to call it a fan letter. That Dave, your fan letter is the first piece of fan mail he's received in at least Christ. two years. At least two years. There's I, probably some random like two years ago that sent sent him something. No, I'm, I'm Ross. Back me up. I'm, I'm with Kristen on here, given that we operate in a factual universe in which the double deuce, which isn't even real, is located in Missouri, not Texas. Isn't that the same? Ross is always fact-checking us as we're recording our podcast. We, uh, Have you hey, noticed this? Hey, we On the very first episode, we established we don't fact-check, we, we Facebook, Facebook check. check. Did you right. Facebook check that? I don't think Facebook cares about Roadhouse. Facebook doesn't care about Roadhouse. Neither do I. Everybody cares about Roadhouse. Okay, why are we here today? Well, we're talking about funky relocations. Okay, so, um, mm, all right, let's talk about some business relocation basics. You gave a little bit of an intro to uh, residential relocation. Now, but business is different. Business is different. And I, I 
sometimes there's a little misinformation uh, when when these displacees have talked to somebody that's not a relocation agent. Sometimes I'll walk into a business and they'll say, "Well, I'm I know I'm getting a supplement, so when do I get that?" And it's a little bit different than that. They don't get a supplement, as we mentioned. Everybody gets moving expenses. Businesses also get reimbursed for site searching expenses up to $2,500, which is kind of a drop in the bucket for some of these businesses, but it's something. And um, we we pay them for reestablishment expenses, which has more to do with like changes and modifications to the real property at their replacement site. But moving, you know, we think of moving as like, you know, I'm going to pack up this chair and go put it in a moving van, move it 50 miles and unpack it. But with a business, that can be a lot more complicated than that because moving is really disconnecting, packing, loading, transporting, unloading, unpacking, and reconnecting equipment. So if you've got some big, heavy industrial piece of equipment, that that can be a really expensive part of this process. Um, and a lot of times we find, if you're dealing with manufacturing companies or something, you have to pay for recalibration. Um, installation of some of these big ticket items can be just astronomically expensive. So I've, I've, I think the biggest move that I ever participated in was for a big manufacturing facility and the move the moving expenses were over 10 million dollars do what yeah 10 million dollars who paid that the agency Ten, to move that's not yes. the acquisition of it the has nothing to do with the acquisition total it's a separate bucket of money as i like to say and you know what if you were moving a snow cone stand and they said my moving expenses were 10 million dollars we wouldn't pay that that's not actual reasonable and necessary for this particular company Ten million dollars was—that's what it took. That's what it took to move this stuff. It was actual, reasonable, and necessary. What if I make my snow cone by flying icebergs from the Arctic and then I put it in a mill to grind the ice? And then well, you got to relocate my mill and my airplane and my airstrip, not to mention the front end of my snow cone stand. What? What? <laughs> I guess we would take that on a case-by-case basis, Mr. Green. I'm not sure that would be actual, reasonable, and necessary. I'm also not sure that would be a profitable business for you. Well, since when does it matter whether the business you have to relocate makes a profit? That was the point I was making. That's a good point. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. So let's say that I have a business. Gosh, what would be a really good business? Uh, uh, Hubcaps. You can buy your hubcap falls off. Do they make hubcaps anymore? But if they did, it falls off your car. I have a little store where you can get a replacement hubcap, and I lose my shirt every year. Like, I have to take money from my savings account to stay in business because it's really a hobby to me. Because really, I just sit in there and listen to Billy Squire all day. You know, the only time I'm really going to be concerned about what kind of money that your business makes is if we're paying you a fixed or in lieu of payment. What's that mean? Okay, that means let's take Ross's snow cone stand, and he goes, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm close to retirement. I don't want to relocate my snow cone stand. Can you guys just, like, buy me out or something? The answer is no. We can't buy you out, but we can pay you a one-time payment. It's called a fixed or in lieu of payment. It's a one-time option. If you get that, you get nothing else on the relocation side. And what we do is we take your previous two years' income for the business, and we average them, and you get a one-time payment with a minimum of $1,000, a maximum of $40,000. Again, that's federal. I believe in your lovely state of Virginia, you guys have a maximum of 75000 on that payment. But in the in the federal regulations, it's a maximum of 40000 Why would there ever be a minimum? If it's not anything, then why because, do you got to pay because a with your Because with your hubcap company, if you've been losing your shirt, as you said, I thought you were going to say a bad word there. I'm so glad you didn't. Um, if you were losing your shirt every year, and so we ask for your income, and you're like, I have lost money the last two years. Well, we're at least going to pay you $1,000. But you didn't answer my question. Why not just pay me nothing? Why are you wasting that $1,000? Well, I don't know that it's a waste. Because you still have to move all your stuff. I don't know. Put those hubcaps in the dumpster. And then I'm going to hire an attorney. <laughs> we got I'll a whole other. Cleaners. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds fun. I'm going to hire Mr. Green over here to my left. You know what's funny? Let me tell you something about attorneys in the relocation process. They're not going to get you any more money because we're still bound by the regulations. They may get you more money on the acquisition side. They're not going to get you more money then, on the relocation side. Maybe Ross could answer this question. Then why are we seeing more and more attorneys in the relocation process? Well, for the reason Kristen identified, which is there's essentially no limit on some of the pots of money. So their premise being that they will attempt to use certain payment structures to make sure they get a chunk of that money. 
Well, and, and, and when an attorney's involved, everything's a moving expense. Nothing falls under the category of reestablishment or site searching expenses, which have statutory maximums. The moving expenses, people love to say, well, that's unlimited. There's no limit to moving expenses. There is a limit. It's just not a monetary limit. The limit is, is it actual, reasonable, and necessary? Which is why when you've got a project with people who have to be displaced, they have to bring in relocation agents who know that. Because I know if I get a big old stack of invoices from a company who's had to move their business, I can go through and say, okay, this one's moving, this one's reestablishment. And then you get something like an electrician's bill, and it's like, well, this line item is a reestablishment and this line item is moving. So it can get a little complicated. And I, I always say that I try to get um, the displacees that I work with every dollar that they are due under the regulations, but not a penny more. Do you remember when Ross Green said that Vince Vaughn was like tzatziki sauce? I, I do remember that. Did you know that they now have tzatziki-flavored Triscuits? Have you tried them? Yes. How are they? Uh, not a fan. This is what ADD looks like. <laughs> Do you like tzatziki sauce? I don't know what it is. Oh, boy. So that means he bought tzatziki-flavored Triscuits, not knowing what it was. Carrie Lynn, do you know what tzatziki sauce is? I do. It's delicious. I do. What is it? It's like the cucumbery sauce that they have on Greek food. Is that what you put on a gyro? <laughs> nice. Yes, and it's, yes. It's, it's it's plain Greek yogurt, preferably shredded cucumbers, mm. garlic. Sometimes there's dill, I think. Okay, but I always, have I've had Always that. garlic and cucumbers and yogurt. There's I've, definitely dill in these Triscuits because that's all they taste like is dill-flavored Triscuits. Yeah, the Triscuits taste like old cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> so what does old cucumber taste like, Carolyn? Those Triscuits. Uh, <laughs> there you go. And there uh, we go. Cucumbers harvested from the compost pile. Yeah. So what you're saying is we're not getting any support dollars from Nabisco. Well, there are other Triscuit flavors that are, that are delicious. phenomenal. Yeah, Carolyn Just not one. these. Cracked pepper and olive oil. Hello. Yes. Ooh, the rosemary jalapeno. Yes. yes. Uh, there's a sun-dried, no, fire-roasted tomato and olive oil that's also quite defined. We're still not getting any money from anybody for this ad, so somebody please pay us to sponsor these Triscuits. Thank you. We tried with Snickers and Milky Way. Well, I don't think Haven't Milky heard. Ways. We have no. not heard from the Mars Corporation. Put, them in the ca- put that in the file with the Billy Squire letter of... People that are probably not going to be contacting us. We want to get their sales up so they give us a plug. Everybody go on TikTok and start throwing Snickers and Mars bars in the pool. You think that's going to help us out? No, but it helps their sales numbers. I see. Uh, tick, what do you exactly know about TikTok? Do you I make know, little dances? I know they're getting bought out by a combination of Microsoft and Walmart so that their stock, like Microsoft and Walmart stock, are going through the ceiling because they're going to combination own TikTok. So you're saying that I wish that I'd thought of that idea. Yes. Me too. Like $20 billion yeah. they're paying for TikTok. All right. So you never know what you're going to find in a funky relocation. And I think this brings us to our next movie discussion. Let's talk about movies where you didn't see the ending coming. That never kind of happens. like a relocation. That never really. You watched The Sixth Sense and you oh, didn't by know the way, he was dead the way, by spo- the end. Spoiler alert! What if somebody? That was like twenty years ago. Yeah. If anybody it. hadn't seen it by now, I'm sorry. It's in the public domain. But did, nobody did, be going to watch it anyway after M Night Shyamalan or whatever has Shyamala, just Shyamalama Shyamalama Ding Dong whatever he is has gone and just ruined his own rep by making a series of god-awful movies. He's like, here, this bit. Okay, I'll do the same bit over and over and over again, except I'll foreshadow it so damn hard that you just know what's coming and hold you're on. tired of it by the hold time on. it gets hold, there. Hold on, Ross, are you telling me that you saw The Sixth Sense? Yes. And you, when you did don't you know? see all the freaking clues in the movie? When did you figure it out? I don't know. Three-quarters of the way from the movie, I'm like, opening credits. <laughs> I'm not going that hard. He his deal in movies is he puts the clue in the movie. Okay, so did you see did you see the sixth sense after seeing all these other Shamalama Ding Dong movies and so you knew the formula? Because no. I'm gonna tell you, I saw the sixth sense in the theater. My mind exploded at the end. I was like, and it's crazy. It opens with the scene where he gets killed. You watch him get killed, and then you're like, he's not dead. He's dead. Yeah. He's a dead as a doornail. I had no clue. My like, mind huh. was blown. You start adding the clues up. I'm not like, as smart as you, though. So maybe you're, maybe this the, is. You watch no, signs and you're like, things happen for a reason. I'm like, okay, I'm so tired of you telling me this by the end. Okay. Oh, I just, loved uh, 
the movie Signs. Still love it. Still love so it. So good. Like, you know what happened to me when I was... I'm going to make a confession on air for all of our listeners, is when I was watching Signs, and it was on the news about an alien invasion, my mind was like, is this, is this what it would be like if there were actually an alien invasion? Can you even imagine that? Yeah, there'll be 27 flashbacks so that you know what's going to happen in the end by the time you get there. You didn't know what was going to happen yes, in you know. Signs. Dude, good Lord. It's so many flashbacks in that movie that explain to you over and over and over what's going to happen. <laughs> swing away, swing away. Yeah. All what right. about all the glasses of water? You didn't know what all the glasses of water meant. Yeah, did you ever watch the H.G. Wells movie? Of course the aliens are going to have weaknesses freaking associated with the Earth environment. Like, it's a straight ripoff. So, okay, so we have a person that compulsively leaves water everywhere. I wonder if the aliens are weak to water. Oh, yes, it turns out that they are. Big surprise. Did you, hey, another spoiler alert. Did you watch The Usual Suspects and know that verbal can't was Kaiser Sose? No, but that's not made by worthless piece of garbage M. Night Shyamalan. Okay, so oh, that's on, a little strong. When, when, when Kevin Spacey is limping down the street and then he start, starts walking normally and the guy drops his coffee cup and he's looking at the bulletin board like, you didn't see that oh, coming. Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm not claiming I saw okay, that but, coming. Okay, I just, I just want to be clear. Did anybody see that coming in The Usual Suspects? course you didn't i mean i, I should didn't I, see the usual suspects okay carrie lynn listen you and i are usually on the same page with movies we haven't seen you got to watch the usual suspects okay it's very good oh my gosh and it's funny it's got some funny what are there other movies you can think of that didn't have that you didn't see the ending coming the secret in their eyes i've never heard of that but now i feel like I need julia to watch roberts it. julia roberts mm-hmm. okay the secret in their eyes mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to check that out did you see that one ross I've never heard of that movie. I haven't either. Mm. You'll have to watch it. Okay, I will. Did You'll Roberts be surprised. Have like a straight to video Hallmark movie. I know. No. I feel like I know her whole catalog. How do I not know this movie? I don't know, but I'm checking it out. Okay. Well, that's kind of what you get in funky relocations. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to happen next, and there's no two that are like. And I, I kind of have a thing that I said one with a, a guy that works for me. He's fantastic, but he. He will say every once in a while, well, this will be an easy one. And I'm like, I will smack you. You never say this will be an easy one because that's the kiss of death. And, you know, I've had, we were talking about a snow cone stand. I had a snow cone stand that was one of the most difficult relocations I've ever done, partly because of the personalities involved, partly because of a complicated acquisition, partly because of some new city code required for snow cone stands. They used up every bit of their reestablishment, $25,000 for a snow cone stand. So you just, you never know what you're going to get. And I think if we're talking about funky relocations, you might see uh, like a KMZ follower or a Google Earth map of a project and go, oh, there's a building that looks like it's probably a business. I wonder what's in there. And then you get in there and the next thing you know, you're an expert on like powder coating. Because any business that you go get involved with and you have to pay their moving expenses, you have to learn their process and you have to learn what, what each piece of equipment is and how it functions and why it's necessary and how it's connected and what sort of specialists are required to come in and move it. So... I think it's a lot of fun, and I have a, I have a lot of weird random knowledge about strange businesses. I bet you do, but that's not the point of relocation. Um, Carrie Lynn and Ross, when we took we took a, a business relocation course from Tammy Benson in Oklahoma, wasn't she talking about relocating a women's prison? I thought it was a chicken farm, like it was a women's was, prison slash chicken farm. It was right? more like a halfway house, and 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 the women were there, and with and chickens. I don't remember if there were chickens, but I think like they were there, and part of their rehabilitation was they had to work this farm. I thought it was a chicken farm. It might have been farm. I've heard Tammy tell this story. We should get her on the phone. Yeah, if you take, what is it, 502 from IRWA course 502 from Tammy Benson, maybe she'll tell you about moving the women's Yeah, so they had to move the chicken farm. But primarily the beef was with moving the, like they had converted this farmhouse into like a low-security prison slash halfway house deal they had to find another bunk house that yes they... and then they had to relocate the people that was the challenging wow. part wow ross and i were involved it's been a number of years now but we were involved in a case where the guy owned a junkyard and so they were building a new interstate bisecting his junkyard and they weren't it was going to be elevated so they were really just taking an, an easement over it but it cut it in two 
therebore, therefore, thereby, therebore, rendering <laughs> rendering his business impossible. He couldn't run a junkyard with an elevated interstate going through the middle of it, and uh, so they had to relocate the junkyard. Uh, that's like my worst nightmare, and I've done a few of them. Not fun. I, I didn't understand. I mean, what? What? Let's just take it to the landfill. That's their business. You can't take, and they own it. Yeah, it was his junk. And you know what? If it you're was rubble. When you're talking about a junkyard, a lot of times it's metal. And metal, you know, in relocation, there's something called when something is high bulk, low value. Like if you have a pile of sand and it's like it's going to cost us $1,000 to move the sand or we could just buy you some new sand for 200 bucks. There's a way to calculate that. But when you're talking about like a scrap yard, that scrap is not high bulk, low value. It has It has value. So you you got you have to move it, and you know what I find the problem is with the junkyard, same as with an automotive business. A lot of times is that if you're in a more urban area, maybe they've been there forever and they're grandfathered in, and then the city goes, guess what? We don't want that kind of business in our city limits. Bingo. And if you live in the Dallas Fort Worth area, okay, fine. So you don't want it in Dallas. Maybe we'll move out to one of the suburbs. Oh, they don't want you either. So then we take a guy who was centrally located in Dallas for 52 years, and his dad started the business, and now he has to operate in like Tucumcari or something. Like right. 50 miles away, and he's not in an urban area anymore. It's it's really difficult. And junkyards are notorious for that, as are automotive businesses. Any any business relocation is going to have its own unique challenges. I did one one time. I love this one. It was so much fun. And it was a, uh, a guy, a medical manufacturing facility, and they manufactured breast implants. Every did, time we did you pick any pick up any surplus when you were there? I didn't, but you know what was great? He would the guy would like let us hold the implants and like see what and so I, every time I went, I'd be like, Can I hold one? Because they really it's like <laughs> it's like my kids play with like slime and silly putty. It kind oh, of was boy. calming to hold these um, oh boy. fresh off the assembly you, line breast now implants. Now you see what makes men tick, right? I guess so. I, I oh. yeah, whatever. If you like that sort of thing. Oh boy. But here was the problem with that one is that he had all this equipment that was uh, patent pending. Like they had designed it and manufactured it. And most of the time when you go into a business, like I said, you have to know all the different pieces of equipment, how they function, what they're called. And so when I put together an inventory for something that has manufacturing, I always take a picture of the item, describe how it works and what its function is. I wasn't allowed to photograph so photograph any of that equipment, and I couldn't talk in detail about how it functioned because it was all patent pending, and they were very locked down about that. So I had to. There was there was a need for kind of um, over the top communication with the agency about what we were moving and why we couldn't photograph it. But that was a fun one. I'll retract some of my previous bashing of M Night Shyamalan because I just realized he made Unbreakable. I knew that was coming. I hated that stupid movie, and I'm a Night Shyamalan fan. Shamalama Ding Dong. Whatever. It's based on a comic book, which is why Ross likes it. Oh, boy. No, no, Ross is almost you... a 40-year-old man that likes comic books. Right. And Dave Cartoons. likes Billy Squire. So which one's more popular? Billy Squire. Yeah, right. In your dreams there, Billy Squire Stan. <laughs> She's the president of the Coastal Eastern something something second division of the Billy Squire fan Central club. Suffolk division. That's what I said. That's what I said. Have you guys done any funky relocations? Well, we were involved in that junkyard, which I still, it, I, I was very new to the relocation project when we were retained to represent an agency on that because the displacee had engaged counsel and had, was, was appealing the agency's decisions through the administrative appeal process. And so it absolutely blew my mind that taxpayer money was being used to relocate a junkyard. But since then, I understand the process better. And you've touched on some of it, that it may be junk to me. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And this is how this guy made his um, livelihood. So that that kind of blew my mind. And we also, Ross was the lead counsel on a relocation case, also involving, at least tangentially, breast implants. Oh, right. What? Oh, that wasn't really relocation. They uh, They tried to claim that the at least initially, before everybody realized how crazy it was, that the breast implant stock at the business was a fixture to the real property. What? Now what That's now? right. That's right. Oh, uh, in Virginia, there's some really unfortunate case law that some people use to try to argue that whatever you want uh, to be a, fixed, a part of the realty for valuation purposes, it can essentially be whatever you want is, is there 
position based on some odd case law. So they tried to say that all of the machinery and the plastic surgery uh, practice and all of the stock and everything were all parts of the realty. Therefore, they were being taken in the acquisition you know, up to and including the breast implants. Of course, when they oh realized my. how silly that sounded, that they sounds were, silly. They started backpedaling, like, "Never mind. We didn't mean. We didn't mean oh, the. Uh, we didn't mean the stock. We didn't." Did mean you get the to breast. hold them? No. I'm sorry for you because it's a it's a treat. Hey, so I don't generally like holding those. Okay. Wow. Um, so. Okay. <laughs> by the way, speaking of fixtures, we do have a we have a blog article on rightofway.law about fixtures and the importance of designating fixtures versus personal property in the appraisal process. Just a little plug for the blog there. <laughs> Thank you. Anytime, anytime. You know, and Dave, you brought up a good point. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And, you know, we don't have the right to go to somebody's place and, and say, we're going to buy, we're going to buy this land from you when these improvements from you and all the stuff that's here, we're going to pay you to move it unless we don't feel like moving it or unless it's expensive or unless we think it's junk. If it belongs to them, we got to pay to move it. We don't have any right to tell them they can't move it or that it's not um, worthy of being moved. What if I'm but, a hoarder? Well, interesting. You would bring that up because I've dealt with hoarders on numerous occasions. I don't know why I, I tend to just, I feel like once a project, I end up with a hoarder somehow. Um, this is true. And I've had a hoarder. Here's a perfect example of what we're talking about. I had a lady out in West Texas in a very small town. She was a bit of a cat hoarder and a regular hoarder. So it's kind of a double whammy. And so we found her a comparable and she decided to move into a different uh, replacement property that was, we called it decent, safe and sanitary because it was fine. Everything was great. It had, you know, the proper connection to utilities and all that. But she wanted to move all of her stuff there. Well, all of her stuff included a mattress that was covered in black mold. Okay. We couldn't find a moving company that would agree to touch the mattress, but she wanted to move it. And so my thought on that is, okay, but if you move that mattress into this, this comparable that we've inspected to be DSNS, decent, safe, and sanitary, the presence of your stuff in this place makes it not decent, safe, and sanitary, right? Mm. Does that make your brain hurt? Because it made my brain hurt. And I'm like, wait, but we already we did what we are supposed to do, which is to provide a comparable, which is decent, safe, and sanitary. It's the same thing as if you move into a decent, safe, and sanitary comparable and then decide to, like, start a meth lab. I can't control what people do with that after I've provided them with a comparable that's decent, safe, and sanitary, nor is it my job. So the fact that we had a comparable available to her that's decent, safe, and sanitary, what she does there after the fact... It's none of my business. But but hold hold on hold on hold on. Here's my question. So did you have to pay to move the black mold infested mattress? I believe we finally talked her out of it after I mean I think we just were like, you know what, there's not a moving company that'll do this. But if she had been adamant about moving it, I think you go into is this actual reasonable and necessary? And I think the answer to that is a clear and resounding no, it's not. And so when I call the usual suspects to throw ah. it back to our movie uh, of, of moving companies and say, hey, can you move this mattress? And they go, oh, no, heck no, we're not going to touch that. And then are we going to like hire a specialty mover and pay them like thousands of dollars to move this black mold infested mattress? Is that reasonable and necessary? No, it's not. And I don't think the agency would ever agree to that. Can't you just buy her a new mattress? I'm not supposed to. You but know, she wanted that mattress. She wanted that mattress. So, yeah, that's a good question. Like, no. If you were a business, we could do something called substitute personal property where we go, oh, you had this mattress. You're not going to move it for whatever reason, but you still need a mattress at the new place. We would pay the lesser. If this is, again, only if this is a business, substitute personal property where you had this mattress. You're not going to move it for whatever reason. We will pay you the lesser of what it would have cost to move the mattress or the cost of a new mattress, the lesser of. And so in that case, we probably would have had to buy her a new mattress. But you, one thing you don't do, as I understand, is you don't, if something's been designated as a fixture, you don't relocate that. Right, because it's part of the real property. We buy it. We buy it. You buy it. Okay. And so who determines whether something is a fixture? Well, that's going to come from your appraisal. But but doesn't isn't there, aren't there some cases where the, and we, we'll get into fixtures in another episode. I'm trying to tie this back in. But aren't there situations where, at least in Virginia, the landowner or the displacee, well, really the landowner, can have a say in whether something was intended to be a fixture? Well, there's a fixtures test, and it's how was it intended to be used? 
What was its purpose? How how is it affixed to the real property? Is it adapted to the real property? Is the real property adapted to accommodate it? Um, so a lot of times, like we deal with this, we've talked about automotive businesses. You've got like a, a, a lift in an automotive business. Is that a fixture or is that personal property? How was it intended to be used? How is it affixed? Is it movable? And who owns it? So this is why I I preach this all the time when I teach a class or when I'm talking to somebody about relocation. It's really important that if there is a possible relocation, that the relocation agent is present at the time of the appraisal inspection so that you can identify some of those items and make sure that whoever the appraiser is makes a note of their opinion of that item. And maybe, you know, the landowner's present and maybe there's a tenant there. Everybody's everybody's there to say, hey, that lift, I put that in last year. I intend to move it and it is movable. There's some bolts here. We can reconnect it. And, and again, it's going to be the appraiser's opinion on that. But to have more information from the people who have purchased and or installed said item is really helpful. Yeah, but what does I'm unclear from a relocation standpoint what the appraiser's determination matters for. If the people are actually going to move it, then why does it matter whether the appraiser thinks it shouldn't be moved? Because if the appraiser thinks it shouldn't be moved, it has contributing value, contributory value to the offer, and that's a duplication of payment if we pay them to move it. Now, they can retain said item if the appraiser, and you know what, this happens a lot with like sales counters. When you go into like a strip center and they've got a sales counter that's like permanently affixed and they'll say, well, I'll, I put this in. I'm a tenant here. I put that in. I'm going to move it. And I'm like, oh, it looks like it's pretty built in. And they're like, yeah, it is. But I, I got a guy that can come cut it out and that's fine. And then I go talk to the appraiser and he goes, no, I, I considered that affixed. That's just part of the real estate. So in that case, if I pay that person to move that counter, they also paid to buy it. That's a duplication of payment, which we, we can't do. So it's absolutely relevant, especially when we talk about individual equipment, like like a crane or like a lift. If the appraiser determines that it's a fixture, I can't pay the expenses to move it because we already paid for it once. But and the but I want to make this clear. And the reason for that is that the appraiser considered that item, that special lift or crane, as part of the real property. And mm -hmm. so the theory is that he has already paid the landowner. Yes for that item through the appraisal. Yes. But, but what if it's a tenant, as you said, who installed the lift or the crane if at I, his expense? I. This is one of the hardest things about my job is when you have tenant improvements. Sometimes I'm not privy to seeing their leases or seeing what their agreements are, but a lot of times we've got landowners like, I put $100,000 in this building. I put that the paint on the walls. I put these tiles in. I had to put a new AC unit in. Unfortunately for that tenant, we're not paying those people for the fact that they improved this space. We're paying the owner because that's part of the real property. It's no different with the fixture. Then you rented this space, you put wallpaper up and you painted and you redid the bathroom. You don't get paid for that as the tenant. That feels like a raw deal to me. It is a raw deal. And that is why people sometimes say, oh, relocation, they're going to come in and they're going to help make you whole. No, we ain't. One of your favorite words. Ain't, ain't a word. I know, but... We, we, are, we are not in the business of making people whole. And the reason is, is that there's not a vehicle for that. And it's unfair. And it's not a perfect system by any stretch. And that's why I say the difference between residential and business relocations is vast. And I'm going to kind of paint with a broad brush here. But I would say that most of the time when I deal with a residential displacee, on the other side of it, they're usually in pretty good shape, sometimes in much better shape than they were before we showed up. And the reason is that sometimes we have families that are living in squalor and we have to, we have to make sure that we've provided comparables that are decent, safe, and sanitary, which means that they're usually living in a far better situation. They've gotten a supplement, which if you're a, if you're a homeowner, that means I'm just like helping you with your down payment when you buy a new place. With the business, there's no, there's no vehicle for that. And so, and especially a tenant owned business. It's Gosh. brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. And but, so they'll say, but you, I, hey, I was talking to the appraiser and he said, you're here to make me whole. And I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I had the capability to make you whole. Right. I don't. Yeah. It actually says it, I believe, in the federal supplement that you uh, don't have to make people whole or that that's not the uh, intention in a business relocation. It's, it's not. And unfortunately, with the statutory limits of some of these categories, it's impossible. Not only are we not responsible for doing that, it's impossible with our um, limits in most cases. That's mind-boggling. That's mind-boggling. Uh, it's mind-bottling. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you, Kristen. Just and on sure. that note, 
Um, I think a good way to wrap up this episode would be to discuss our childhood fears. Oh, boy. All right. I have a question before we move on to fears. Yeah. You didn't explain to Ross about Hasten Hobson. Oh. Oh. Ross, do you know what Hasten Hobson is? No. There is a children's author by the name of Astrid Lundgren. Hey, that's Pippi Longstockings. Yes. That is Pippi Longstockings' author. But she also did a series of children's books with um, the main character by the name of Carlson. And the first one was Carlson on the Roof. And Carlson is this little portly man uh, who has a propeller on his back and flies around and lives on the roof. And so the whole time you're reading this book about Carlson, you think he is an imaginary friend. When actually, by the end of the book, he gets introduced to the whole family. He's really a dude. And he's Kaiser Sose. He is not Kaiser Sose. Oh, sorry. The point is, that is Carlson on the Roof's salutation. He flies through your window and says, Hasten Hobson, Carrie Lynn. Hasten Hobson, Dave. And that's where that came from. So now you know. Carlson on the Roof. Could not recommend it more. Well, it was also made into a cartoon, a Russian cartoon. Carlson on no the roof. Way. Yes. I did was. not know that. Yes, it was. Wow. Okay, let's go back to childhood fears. Yeah. I was always afraid I was going to be an orphan. Like when my when I was really young, that's that was my fear, and that my brother and I would like live in an orphanage with Miss Hannigan from Annie. Oh God. <laughs> it's a hard knock life for Kristen. <laughs> Bingo. <gasps> I can't sing. Kristen is the music professional. I don't know. I, Ross, that was pretty darn good. Sing a good. song, Kristen. No. Sing, no. Sing a song. I like nope. how Kristen has a degree in music and will never, ever, like, sing anything on here. No, I won't. Why not? I don't know. I had an irrational fear of sharks. That, I think no. it's because Jaws it's not came irrational. Out. I was going to say. But, but, like, I was afraid, like, when we would be in the swimming pool at night oh. of sharks. Like, yes. I was afraid in a pool oh boy you, you know yeah. um being from a similar generation as you and when jaws came out i was pretty young when it came out but um growing up in virginia beach that scared the crap out of me jaws did and the older i got the more i realized you have every reason to be afraid when you're swimming in somebody else's living room and if you get into <laughs> fishing especially fishing offshore, or even surf casting, there are some big daggone fish swimming around underneath your feet. I I happened to be at Emerald Isle a couple of weeks ago, and I went on a walk, and I saw a guy, and he was just casting out in the surf, and I was like, that guy's got something on his line. And I'm like, I got to watch this. So I stood there for 45 minutes, and at one point I'm like, it's like a marlin. This is a beast, because he's just, and his pole is like bent in half. He finally gets it a little close, and I'm like, I just saw a fin. That is a freaking shark. And I've caught sharks before that are like a foot long or something. This thing was 58 inches long. 58 inches long. And so then I walk back, and I'm, like, about to show my kids this video of this guy reeling in. And then I'm like, no, this will ruin their beach vacation and maybe their lives. So I didn't tell them. And they're out there, like, boogie boarding. And I'm kind of of looking for the fin a little bit after that. But, yeah. 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 Not cool, man. It's okay to be scared of sharks. That's a five-foot shark swimming around where your kids are boogie boarding. I know. Does that – is that – is somebody going to call CPS? Is that bad parenting? No, but it just shows that that's not a childhood fear. It should be a real fear for all of us. It should. But I was afraid of sharks in a swimming pool. Now, Carrie Lynn, that's just silly. That's silly. Okay, Ross. Them land shark. That What, are they going to land swim shark. across the land and get in the pool? Maybe. What was that Saturday Night Live bit they had where he With knocks Chevy on the door? Chase? It's during weekend <laughs> update. It? It's Chevy Chase. Land, land shark. shark. Yeah. <laughs> Ross, what's your childhood fear? Well, let's see. So it was nuclear war. And then for oh my some God, reason, such a Ross like answer. watching the Berlin Wall fell, I was like, okay, I'm good. And then I won the elementary school reading competition. So they just went and bought some book from the bookstore. But what they bought was this completely like NC-17 X-rated book about the world gets destroyed by an asteroid and everybody like murders and rapes each other after that. I'm like, Thanks for the permanent psychological trauma. Jesus. Wow, this just got really dark with Ross's childhood fears. God, no wonder you are the way you are. What's yours, Dave? Uh, I have two of them. 
And uh, one, and this is really interesting, the first and foremost was tornadoes. I, (laughs) as a child, was terrified of tornadoes. Now, when I was a kid in coastal Virginia back then, there were no tornadoes. We just literally never had them, never seen one. They were, we didn't have tornado warnings. We do now, but they were not a factor. It would be like being afraid of hurricanes if you lived in Kansas. At like the time. my daughter who's afraid of tsunamis and right. we live in Texas, but she calls <laughs> right. them salamis. And for years we were like, what is she saying? She would be crying. I'm so scared of salamis. And I'm like, what? We figured out it was a tsunami she saw a video about. And I'm like, we live in 350 miles from water in Texas. I don't think that's going to be a problem. And then the second one, and this has no basis in rationality either, is snakes. I was terrified of snakes when I was a kid. But the irony was I went and caught a snake in the woods and kept him as a pet for a while. What? So I kept a snake in my bedroom, but I was terrified of snakes. Now, you want to know how this story ends? I bet you can guess. One day I wake up, snake's not in the aquarium. And never seen again. Never found him. That happened to my brother. He had snakes when I was a kid. That's so the disgusting. Moral of that story is what? One of these days it's going to come out your mouth? <laughs> no, dude, it's going to come up through the toilet. So, everybody, thank you for joining us for the Pendulum Land Podcast. It's brought to you by Pendulum Land Services, LLC, a full services right of way acquisition company dedicated to the integrity of the right of way industry. Visit them at PendulumLand.com or on Twitter at PendulumLand. The broadcast was produced by Right-of-Way Consults, LLC. Thank you, Carrie Lynn Hirsch from Pendulum Land for joining us today. Reach out to your rest of your hosts at Relo Kristen, at Right-of-Way Ross, and at Right-of-Way Dave. It was a fun one. Watch out for snakes coming out of that toilet. I see dead people. Land shark. <laughs> <laughs>